It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, thanks very much for being with us. We figured this was a good time to do this since uh, the American League Championship Series is over. And as we speak, half the World Series has been determined with Boston taking on either Milwaukee or L.A. Mark Topkin of the Times, either way, will be covering the World Series. And he now joins us. And Topper, I guess nobody can say Boston's a surprise. They started 17-2. and They won 108 games. Maybe for me, the only surprise is that they won four straight and as good a road team as they were the last three in Houston kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, Neil. They took care of two 100-win teams thus far in the playoffs, and, and pretty handily. You know, they took care of the Yankees, and now obviously what they did to Houston, and you're right, to do it in five. I mean, they haven't been very good in the predictions of this postseason. In fact, after seeing how the Astros handled the Indians, mm-hmm. I flipped in my mind and picked the Astros to handle the Red Sox, which obviously turned out not to be the case, but... I don't think even the most ardent uh, Boston supporters, Tweet at Pete or any of the other people we know out there, would have uh, thought this would happen in five and that they would win three straight in Houston. And, and then you could take it even further that David Price would end up pitching the key game as the starter, that Jackie Bradley Jr. of all the people in that offensive lineup would end up as the ALCS MVP. So there were a lot of uh, small surprises in there, but but I think your general point is Right, you have a 108-win team that dominated from literally you know, at the second day of the season because we know they lost opening day in a comeback uh, by the Rays, but they dominated from the second day of the season forward and really has not you know, shown any reason to think they won't do this and keep going against whichever National League team it is. And I'll, we'll get to that and, and Price in a little bit. I mean, to me also was quite impressive was how they beat up the Houston staff that quite honestly in the regular season was the best staff in baseball. I mean, they scored a ton of runs against a staff that's very tough to score on. Yeah, and they did it in different ways, too. It wasn't just, you know, hitting a ton of home runs. You saw them, you know, uh, be in motion a little bit. You saw them get some clutch hits. You saw some guys that weren't necessarily, you know, their top uh, run producers come through. You saw some key walks, some good takes. You saw a lot of things out of that Boston team, and, you know, maybe at some point during the season, I think we all probably thought, no, you know, they won all these games, but they beat up on some bad teams in the American League at some point this year. And, you know, maybe they were going to get a little stale, a little bored, all that. But they definitely have been focused. And I think, you know, some of that credit has to go to Alex Cora, the manager. And, and look, they've got great talent. Um, and you don't win 108 games without great talent. I think it was Jason Stark who put this number out that the last three teams to win 108 games and go to the World Series were the 98 Yankees in the last 45 years. 98 Yankees, 86 Mets, 75 Reds. They all won the World Series, and they all had a lot of Hall of Famers on their teams. And, look, we may look back on this club and say, well, they had five or six Hall of Famers. They should have won. Yeah, I mean, Nate Evaldi and Steve Pierce, certainly the way they played, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, probably a couple other guys. But, yes, they've had good series, too. And, and, and um, I, I think, look, as a Rays fan, you probably feel good for the guys who have had Rays connections, who've gotten there. 
maybe at the top of the list, David Price, just the fact that he got the monkey off the back. Um, you know, he was going to win a postseason game at some point. You don't win as much in the regular season without having some level of postseason success. He hadn't pitched well, but it doesn't mean he was never going to pitch well. No, of course not. And, and you know, and I know I pointed this out earlier uh, in the week on Twitter, and, and it technically was not or is not considered a postseason game. But what he did in game 163 for the Rays mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago, that game in Texas where he pitched a complete game, and, you know, that was as dominant of a performance, you know, as you could have asked for in that setting. And I know it didn't count as a postseason game, but to me that that showed, you know, this was not just some – you know, thing in his head. This was a fluke the way this was happening, but that talent, that skill was there. And, you know, for him, obviously, and just seeing some of the post-game interviews and, and you bring his son Xavier with him and, you know, cute touch last night after they won, uh, after they won the pennant. But it just to him pitching that game, I think, was a big thing for him. Personally, I think probably mentally, as you say, just to, to answer the questions and to, to not have that be a debate any further. And, you know, t- 10 years and one day uh, shy, right, of, of getting the final out, they got the race to the mm-hmm. World Series. And, and he did it on three days rest after warming up in the bullpen at 1 a.m. the day before, which made it more surprising because he never pitches on three days rest. Yeah, his new, he's got a new routine, right? Short rest and warm up the night before at 1 in the morning and you know, wake up on most nights because you're not going to still be playing. So, yeah, it was funny. There were so many different things that went into that. And, and you know, it, it'll certainly create good fodder, as we know, the Boston media. Uh, is, is very thorough and, and you know, looking at every single aspect of things, probably a little ad nauseum at times. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, what? why was it different? I know, you know, the fact that he threw the changeup more in Game 5 in the clinching game, and he was much more effective with it was certainly one thing that stood out. But there will be a lot of things you know, pointed out as to what may have worked, but the bottom line is David Price did it, and that should answer the biggest question. Yes, and, you know, he played a large role. Nathan Ovaldi played a large role, and, and probably a little surprising is that Steve Pierce played as large a role as he did, in part because Mitch Moreland had the bad hamstring. Yeah, and, you know, what struck me, and, and you know, obviously, you know, it's a game where players go through injuries at different times. When Steve Pierce was here uh, with the Rays, you know, he was he couldn't play too many days in a row. He was having elbow issues. He was bouncing around a little bit positionally. You know, he seemed more like he was a, a DH who they could throw out in the field when they needed to. But the way he's played first base and some of the plays he's made for the Red Sox down the stretch here and in the postseason and, you know, a couple of the picks he's made and they were joking, you know, he might be the most stretched out man, some of the splits he's had to make. Mm. And just some of the, the flexibility, maneuverability and, and you know, what he's brought to the Red Sox defensively, I think that might be the biggest surprise. We knew he could hit. But the fact that he's been able to help them out defensively has been impressive. And, and hitting really the story for the Red Sox. I mean, in the five games they've won on the road, they've scored 40 runs in the playoffs now. And, and I think it, it takes what the Rays have done, obviously, a step further. They've got more polished, accomplished hitters. But the biggest thing they've done in a day where everybody strikes out is they've reduced the strikeouts. They don't strike out a lot. They were one of the least uh, teams to, or the teams that struck out the least in the league. And we see it's carried over to the postseason, too. Yeah, and, and I think that's how you beat good pitching, too. And, you know, you talked about how they uh, did what they did against the Astros pitching staff, and I think the fact that they were putting the ball in play, they were making contact, they were, you know, taking tough pitches and, and getting the calls to enough to where they didn't come out of their zone, they didn't come off that, they didn't start chasing. So I think there were a number of reasons why they got there. But, yeah, their offensive discipline and the fact that they put the ball in play was definitely a factor. And you said at the top that you think it's going to be hard for whether it's L.A., whether it's Milwaukee, either of those clubs to beat the Red Sox. I mean, 
do you – I mean, I've been wrong on a lot of these postseason predictions too, but I also right now, especially because they'll have a fully rested Chris Sale, for me it's hard for anyone to pick against Boston at this point to win the World Series, regardless of who they're playing. Yeah, assuming Sale's healthy. And, you know, there still was a little bit of mystery as to what was wrong with him. He was in the hospital. You know, he was supposedly going to pitch game six. Now, obviously, we'll never know. You would assume he'll pitch Tuesday night in the first game of the World Series. So if he's healthy, that you know, the Red Sox are off their feet for the next few days. They can line their pitching up how they want it. There's so many reasons that, you know, winning this. That game seven would have been Sunday night. They would have had to turn around uh, and play on Tuesday. So they obviously have the benefit now of several more days rest. So I, I just don't see either team matching up there. It's been interesting watching. I mean, Milwaukee's done a lot without, you know, you say they've done, I won't say they've done a lot with a little, but they've done a lot without a ton. And yet, you know, you go through that Dodgers lineup, and, you know, there's obviously some really good players in there, but there's not a ton of, you know, players. They're not as deep. I don't think they have the thickness of their lineup that the Red Sox have, too. So I, I think it'll be interesting. Now, obviously, the Red Sox are going to have to figure out what they're going to do with J.D. Martinez mm-hmm. for the three National League Park games. That off, that outfield is playing such great defense. Do they disrupt that? But how would you not play J.D. Martinez without the D.H.? So, I, you know, that's going to be part of it, and that always impacts the American League team. It's always a disadvantage of the AL team, uh, no matter what others want to argue. And, you know, that's one thing the Dodgers or the Brewers will have going in their favor, but I really don't see how either team's going to match up with the Red Sox. I mean, who would have thought taking Jackie Bradley Jr. out of the lineup would be considered a big deal, but they may do that in the fact that if they want to play J.D. in the National League parks. Right, It's and it's just one of those tough decisions that AL teams have to make in, in that World Series situation. Getting back to the Rays, obviously there are some parallels you can draw with the, with the strikeout and the reduction of the strikeout for the Rays and their success this year. Uh, I think probably the big question as we start gearing up for the offseason now is, um, is the entire staff going to be together? Um, there have been reports about Hein Bloom uh, with, with several clubs. There have been multiple reports about Rocco Baldelli interviewing for a handful of managerial jobs. And, of course, Charlie Montoya with the Cincinnati Reds. What's your take on all this? How do you think uh, things will end up um, when it's all said and done? Well, first of all, I mean, it's obviously a compliment to the Rays and what they did. There's so much interest in, in some of their people. And, and, you know, Rocco Baldelli, the most interest, Charlie Montoyo, you know, every year seems like he gets an opportunity to interview for a job. And maybe one of those years he'll get the opportunity to get one of those jobs. Heim Bloom, you know, this will be the third or fourth time that we know that he's interviewed for a GM-level job. So there's been interest before, but I think it's a compliment to the Rays and what they did this year that there, you know, is kind of so much concentrated interest you know, how it's going to go forward, I think if nobody gets hired, I think the rest of the staff will be back. I think they'll keep it as it is. You know, I think they like how things work. I don't think there'll be any other changes planned, certainly. You know, Rocco probably has a good chance to get one of these jobs. I mean, he's had five teams that interviewed him, as far as we can tell. Um, everyone's been kind of quiet about it. But, you know, interviews with five teams, he seems to have made the cut in Toronto as we tape this. Did not make the cut in Cincinnati, as far as we can tell. So, you know, the opportunity there, I mean, I know there's a lot of interest from the Texas people. I've heard from a couple of their media people, which, you know, usually is reflective of what they're hearing, you know, even if it's off the record or behind the scenes from some of the team people. So a lot of interest from the Texas side. I think he's a good match with the people running the Twins and maybe with the people running the Blue Jays, too. So the, the one kind of wild card in this is the Angels. You know, they've been probably the least reported about their situation. You know, their GM's a former Yankee guy. Billy Epler spent mm-hmm. time there. Uh, we heard whispers last year the Yankees were interested in Rocco, although it did not manifest itself to an interview, and they obviously hired Aaron Boone, and, and we're certainly happy with the job he did this year. But, 
you know, is there a connection there as well? I, from Rocco's standpoint, you know, what would be the best fit for him? I think anybody wants to take over a team that's closer to winning than not, but also a team that has resources. You know, and who's going to spend uh, what it takes to be con- uh, be a contender? Who's going to be committed to it? So I think there's going to be some opportunity there for Rocco. If you're asking me to guess, I'm, I'm just going to go by the you know the multiples here that you know he was interviewed by five teams. I'm going to think one of them's going to hiring him. And if that turns out to be the case, and that is an if. Um, the question from the Rays is they kind of created a new position for him this year, this major league coordinator position. Do they then maintain that position? I think it's going to be the next question. And then do they have someone already in-house that they're considering for that in case, or do they kind of reshape responsibilities and just and also promote from within but kind of change responsibilities within the staff? Yeah, and that, that is a good question because it was a unique position, and I think Rocco, you know, I'm not sure exactly why, but I think you know he wanted to come off of first base. I think the opportunity to do a little more uh, intrigued him in the dugout and, and be part of uh, that decision-making process more. Obviously, the um, connection or the communication with the minor league people was part of that job, but I think it was more of just almost I, – I almost looked at it like assistant bench coach, which I know is not what they were calling it, but that seemed to be kind of what his role was, just watching him during games and – you know, more involved in the in the game planning and plotting and things like that, which you know probably bodes well from the managerial standpoint uh, in showing what he could do. So, so I don't know is the answer to your question. I don't know if there's another Rocco quote unquote in the Rays organization that they would just slot in to that position. Uh, you know, you have a you had a little bit of a unique situation where the assistant hitting coach is also the first base coach and Ozzie Timmons, which obviously meant he was not in the dugout when the Rays were hitting. You know, would they switch him off of first base and go hire a first base coach and put him in the dugout where he could do more of what a traditional assistant hitting coach would do? That'd be one thing that pops into my mind. Or do they bring someone up from the minor league system, whether a coordinator or a triple-A manager, Jared Sandberg, who obviously would have that connection with the minor league guys and lean more heavily on that the way, you know, that aspect of what Rocco's job was. Certainly going to be interesting to watch and follow. As mentioned at the top, you're going to the World Series Anything in particular you're most looking forward to? Um, you've covered, obviously, a lot of these over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's always uh, interesting, and we touched on it earlier in the podcast here, to catch up with the former Rays uh, who were in the World Series, and this year certainly with Nate Evaldi since he was traded midseason. And, and really, when he was traded, you know, he was a little regretful to go because he really liked being with the Rays. But, you know, he said at the time this is a chance to maybe go win a World Series, and obviously he's going to be in that World Series. I think David Price... Uh, I know there were, you know, maybe some people who, who weren't as big of fans as others, uh, but I think David Price is always going to be a huge part of the race history and a fabric of the, the franchise tradition here, and catching up with him will be kind of cool. And then on the other side, if it ends up being the Dodgers, you have Andrew Friedman, who was kind of the architect of those teams that made the playoffs. So I, I think that Rays angle is always the part that interests me and, and you know, why I always feel privileged and the opportunity to go for the Tampa Bay Times and cover the World Series is to kind of bring that part of the story to our readers and, and listeners and viewers and all that. And if it's Milwaukee, they do have, although it's lesser, do have race connections there too. you got Matt Arnold, um, who's also been rumored for GM jobs, and you got Xavier Cedeno and Dan Jennings, who've been off and on the playoff rosters, but still also part of the organization too. You do, and Stephen Vogt uh, has been yep. around. He's been injured this year, obviously, with the Brewers, but also was a guy who had a long race history here. And, you know, I know you're, you're up on this because you're up on everything, but, you know, Craig Council, who's the manager of the Brewers, has done a fine job there, was on the Rays' original list of interviewed candidates when, uh, you know, when Kevin Cash was hired after Joe Madden left, and, and uh, Council ended up withdrawing, and 
maybe he knew then he'd have an opportunity in Milwaukee. He said he wanted to stay kind of closer to home. He's a Midwest guy, Milwaukee area guy. But it was interesting that, you know, they had identified him as well. Good stuff, Mark. We uh, look forward to reading you um, in during the course of the World Series, and we certainly appreciate some time on the podcast. Always time for you, Neil. Always time. Well, really good stuff from Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Um, we will keep you posted on what's going on with the race. We'll have podcasts if, as needed, and also we'll continue to keep you updated on Twitter. You can follow me at Neil Solons. You can follow at Rays Radio. And we do have blogs on a fairly regular basis, the latest on the uh, guys the Rays may protect for the Rule 5 draft about a month out. You can go to RaysRadio.moblogs.com. Thanks to Mark for being with us. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.